Hey, you guys, it's Sharpie. I'm the guest from episode number 20. I like to travel to the edge of the known universe and peer over the edge to see what's out there. It's sort of like digging below the surface, tapping into the electromagnetic network of fungi and tree roots to try and figure out what they're talking about. Spread the word to anyone who you think may be interested in expanding their horizon and growing their universe. Thanks, guys. Tune in soon. Welcome to ATBS, the podcast, all things big and small. I'm your host, Jeff Volmerich. Thanks for being here. Today, my good friend, Richard Hamilton, joins me in the pod ship for a discussion of epigenetics and an overview of them. Richard is educated in molecular biology. He likes to say he's a recovering molecular biologist. He's also president and founder of Prosper, which is providing direct-to-consumer epigenetic testing and personalized lifestyle recommendations. They're offering a coupon code to any of my listeners, which is ATBS. And when prompted at liveprosperstrong.com, you can enter that coupon code and get a discount. Today, Richard and I dive into four very broad categories or pillars that influence our epigenome, nutrition, mindfulness, movement and exercise and toxins. Certainly an enjoyable conversation. I hope you learn, and we will follow it up with four in-depth episodes on each of the pillars. Enjoy. Good morning, Richard. Thanks for being with us today on ATBS, the podcast. Thank you, Jeffrey. It's great to be with you as always. I'd have to throw in a guess that it's sunny and warm in Southern California today. Uh, it is. If I had to guess, I, I might guess that it's snowing in Utah. Yeah, as I look over my right shoulder, we haven't had a whole lot of snow in a little while, but it's uh, it's dumping and we like that. So all things seem right in the world, even though we're in a very odd time in the world. And we might get to that uh, a little later on. But today we're going to be talking about epigenetics. We're going to do our best to um, put together an epigenetic overview and the four pillars that influence, is it proper to say influence our epigenome or influence our epigenetics? Yeah, epigenome. All right. Yeah. So the four pillars that uh, affect and influence our epigenome, and th these are broad categories, nutrition, fitness, mindfulness, and toxins. And we'll dive into each one as an overview. And then just for the listeners, so you understand that we'll, we'll do this overview episode. And then I think we're going to dive in with an episode per pillar down the line. So we'll do an episode on nutrition, an episode on fitness and movement, episode on mindfulness, and an episode on toxins and what that means. For today, let's get into the overview, Richard. Epigenetics and I talked to one of my daughter's friends a month ago and brought up epigenetics and he didn't know what it was. So in keeping with 
what are we trying to do here on ATBS, the podcast? And we're trying to turn some lights on to some rooms and some subjects that people might not be familiar with, shine some light on a subject or a topic. And in this case, uh, epigenetics. So the floor is yours, Dr. Hamilton. Yeah, sure. So epigenetics, uh, epi is Greek for above. And so epigenetics literally means above genetics. And it's a, it's a fairly broad catch-all term that we use for thinking about genetic regulation that is not, quote-unquote, sequence-dependent. And so to understand that, let's talk just a little bit about genetics. Before we talk about above genetics, let's just talk a little bit about genetics. I think many people are probably familiar with, you know, direct consumer DNA testing companies like 23andMe or Ancestry. And they're looking at your DNA sequence. Your DNA sequence is a, is a series of the, the four bases of DNA, A, T, C, and G, that make up your genome. As a collection of data, it's about, about 26 Manhattan's phone books uh, worth of information. And it is spread out across your chromosomes, which are mostly tightly coiled up inside the nucleus of a cell. But if we took them all and unwound them, and stretch them all together end to end to end, it'd be about six feet long. Now, your genetic sequence, I like to say, is a bit like the VIN number of your car. Uh, it tells you the make, the model, the trim package. You know, some of us are driving SUVs. Some of us have 40 little coupes. Some of us have the blonde trim package. Some of us have the brunette trim package. But by and large, your DNA sequence doesn't change over the course of your life. Now, what does happen is, you know, arrayed along those chromosomes are, are genes, and those genes get turned on and off. That's part of the course of our development as organisms from the time we are uh, conceived in utero to the time we're adults. Uh, and so we turn genes on and off. And the, the set of genes that get turned on and off in different cells and in different tissues is, is different. The same genes that are turned on in a, a liver cell are not the same genes that are turned on in a, in a lung cell. There's an overlap for sure, but that is really kind of the basis of what makes a lung cell a lung cell, a liver cell a liver cell. So we have that as a background, that we have this DNA sequence. It's kind of like the VIN number of your car, and the current generation of DNA test kits kind of look at that static sequence and try and say, you know, okay, where did this, what's this person's ancestry? Where do they come from? But really, without looking at kind of which genes are going on or off, we really can't tell too much about a, a person's health uh, at all. And so epigenetics is now a way of really looking, frankly, more at your car's dashboard. It's a way of looking at which genes you're using and which genes you're not over time. So we get a sense of you know, the accelerator, the tachometer, et cetera. What becomes fascinating, at least fascinating to me, is that over time, this ability to manage your DNA, this ability to sort of turn genes on and off, slowly degrades. And we can now measure this it's called the epigenetic clock, and it becomes a very, very accurate biological clock with which we can track your actual aging process. So we can tell you how well you're aging, and we can tell you what's driving that aging process so that you can do something about it. If you like to increase your increase your lifespan, increase your health span, wouldn't it be nice to know, well, where do I need to focus my efforts? 
Let's then talk a little bit about, you know, the influences, how we can influence that epigenome and these broad pillars that we've talked about. So we've got nutrition, fitness, mindfulness, and toxins. Let's start with, uh, let's start with everybody's favorite or least favorite nutrition. Before we dive right into that, I think to, to be able to understand uh, how something like nutrition can influence the epigenome, I think it's worth going into how your genetic hard drive works. And I mentioned earlier that you know in each cell of your body, you have a complete hard drive. You have a complete set of chromosomes. There's all the information there necessary to make you know a Jeff Ulmerich. And every cell, it's a bit redundant, every cell has that complete hard drive. But of course, not every cell is, is reading all the software or all the programs on that complete hard drive. And when we translate that into, into DNA terms, what that really means is that much of your DNA is coiled up and put away. I sometimes use this analogy of, imagine having a room full of yarn, right? knitting yarn. And if it was neatly wound up and put away on shelves as skeins of yarn, or balls of yarn, yeah, that would be organized. That would probably work pretty well. Oh, I need the blue yarn. Oh, I need the orange yarn. or Whatever color I needed or texture, whatever it is, I could go and collect that. If, on the other hand, it was all unwound and just in a giant pile, it'd be very difficult to sort through that. And at the same time, if you were going to knit a sweater, you need to have the, the ball of yarn unwound so you can, you know, wrap it around the needles and begin, you know, knitting your sweater, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a balance of wound and unwound. And we think the same thing is happening at the DNA level, where sections of DNA that are being chronically uh, used become unwound because we're constantly knitting with those, to use the analogy, and sections that are not, they're being wound up and they're being put away on the shelf. And it seems that this ability to wind up and unwind DNA plays a role in how well we age. And the evidence for this is really, uh, and I'll use two extremes, to make DNA easy to wind up, there's this, a, a very small chemical modification called methylation that gets made to the DNA strand, and it just makes it easier to wind up. So methylated equals wound up, unmethylated equals unwound, and we can assay that. And what some researchers uh, observed at UCLA uh, about seven or eight years ago was they went back to a, a broad set of biobanks, and these are just tissue samples from people over time, and they looked at those, and they looked at the methylation signal of the DNA of these people as they age. And what they found is that this methylation process slowly breaks down. We, we Basically, we rust. And places that should be methylated become unmethylated, in places that were unmethylated became methylated. And the, the net result of that is probably that, you know, a breakdown in this almost this physical hard drive of being able to wind up the yarn and unwind the yarn and, and do your knitting. And they also observed that this happens stochastically, meaning, you know, kind of randomly, and that one cell doesn't do it exactly the same as the cell next to it. And when they matched this up against all-cause mortality, matched it up against death, because these were biobanks, tissue samples from decades ago, and they, you know, these people have been tracked through the course of their lives, they found that this was a very, very, very accurate way of predicting all-cause mortality. It had an accuracy rate of something like 
uh, far more accurate than your just your chronological age. So that was one line of what I'll call experimental evidence that said, you know what, methylation or the ability to unwind and unwind DNA seems to correlate very, very strongly with biological age span. The other thing that me as a scientist is, is pretty convincing in this regard is a, a genetic disease called progeria. And progeria is a very rare disorder where the patients that are afflicted with progeria exhibit very rapid aging. And these are children who typically die of what we would call old age-related diseases, cardiovascular disease, dementia, things like that. And they die at 8 or 10 years old. So it's characterized by extreme rapid aging. Now, for one of the major, again, it's a rare disease, but for one of the, the more common, if you will, variants within that rare disease, we've now been able to go in and we've isolated the genetic mutation responsible for that. And we know that that is a mutation in a protein that sits on the inside of the nuclear membrane. And so, if you will, it is the shelf where the skeins of yarn or the balls of yarn are sitting in the room. And if it's not there, then guess what? The balls of yarn are not in nice balls or nice skeins, as I call them, but rather they're just scattered randomly throughout the, the room. And when we observe the chromosomes of these individuals, that's, in fact, exactly what we see. One of the things to, again, because it's going to impact when we talk about nutrition, when we talk about fitness, when we talk about toxins, when your DNA is wound up and put away in that nice ball of yarn, it's more resistant to damage from the environment, whatever that damage might be. We want to strike a, a nice balance, if you will, of, of keeping this system intact and keeping our DNA you know, organized, if you will, keeping our DNA wound up, put away when we're not using it at the right time and place so that we can you know, knit sweaters when we need to knit sweaters and we can keep the DNA you know, nice and organized and safe. Does that make sense to you? It does. And the thing that keeps coming to my mind as I'm listening to you is, okay, how do we do that? How do we organize the balls of yarn within Jeff or any of the listeners who are going to go, okay, Richard, that all sounds great. How do I get my yarn collection organized and shelved and color-coded? Let's go that direction. Yeah, I, I think conveniently, it sort of comes that way, right? So uh, conveniently, that's the, that's the base state, is, the, is that it's going to keep it that way. Uh, I think the question is really, what causes it to become disorganized? You know, what is it that's causing uh, us to pull yarn off the shelf and open it up and not put it back away? You know, there's many of those things that are, as, as you know, I like to say, kind of the, the negative derivatives of modern lifestyle. And so if we look at uh, one of those negative derivatives of, of a modern lifestyle is we eat high-calorie diets, so we eat too much. We eat diets that are rich in refined carbohydrates and saturated fats, so we eat too much of the wrong sorts of things. And then the last thing is meal timing uh, with you know, modern lifestyles and electricity and the ability to stay like we eat too late at night. And so each of those things can have negative consequences for your epigenome and can have negative consequences for your health writ large. The idea that we're just going to keep everything coiled up and put away, you're not going to have life. You're not going to have metabolism. You need to be knitting some sweaters to do that. I think what happens is when we overdo it and we have chronic, for example, high levels of blood sugar, 
So chronically high levels of blood sugar, anytime you have high blood sugar, you're stimulating insulin production. Well, insulin is, in fact, a hormone. Insulin is going to go, and it's going to bind to cell surface receptors, and it's going to send a signal to the nucleus to say, hey, you know, let's, we gotta, we've got some sweaters to knit. And you're going to unwind some DNA, and you're going to go conduct a, a set of, of metabolic reactions because you've turned on a bunch of genes. If that is chronically on, if you have chronically high levels of blood sugar, then you're leaving that DNA out, right? Compare and contrast that with, I get up in the morning, I eat a meal, maybe I have um, a banana, which is a starchy food, right? I'm going to digest that, and my insulin levels are, are going to go up. Right? If I stop eating, if I go out and then I'm going to go skiing for the day, or I'm going to go hunting and gathering, or whatever it is, you know, my insulin levels are going to come back down, the skeins of yarn are going to get balled back up, and you know, put away on the shelf. On the other hand, you know, if I have that big breakfast and then I go and sit at a desk, uh, and then, you know, three or four hours later, I eat another meal and I go back and sit at the desk and then I sit in the car and then I come home and I have another meal and then I sit on the television and I watch television and then I have a snack before I go to bed. Well, guess what? My insulin levels, my blood sugar levels have probably stayed high throughout the entire course of the day. That is, is an example of how habits or chronic behavior that lead to these negative uh, epigenetic effects. Not to say that a banana is a, is a bad thing or a, a baked potato is a bad thing in and of itself uh, or even a potato chip. But in excess, delivered chronically and at the wrong times of day, you know, these things add up. So when we get into the episode on, uh, when we dive deeply into nutrition, we're going to talk a little bit more about that, right? So can we jump to fitness? It seems to me as though these things are going to be very similar as we go into fitness. And, and uh, you know, from my lay perspective, if we're sedentary, then the yarn is out. If we're over-exercising, chronically exercising, the same might be true. It sounds like we're heading towards, uh, you know, moderation in everything, including moderation. It, it might be. It's still, you know, epigenetics is still a new field. And epigenetics in fitness is, you know, uh, an area that is, I think, rich for, for exploration. I, I think we can talk about it at a sort of a little bit of a theoretical level and then, you know, dive into the examples that we have to date. Here's the thing that's a bit of a head-scratcher about exercise uh, writ large, at least as it relates to DNA level. We know that exercise has many benefits to, you know, your cardiovascular system, to your muscle tone. You, you can see those things, you know, in the mirror. Uh, you can notice that when you're out skiing or mountain biking, you know, how good it feels to be in shape. But when we think about it down at the cellular level, when we are burning calories, we're doing that within a cell in an organelle structure within the cell called a mitochondria. And in that process of quote unquote burning sugar, has a big technical term called oxidative phosphorylation. We're using oxygen, uh, right? We breathe oxygen and one of the ways we use it is to help us break those carbon-carbon bonds and those sugars. But in that process, we create something you've probably heard of called an oxygen radical. And we have mechanisms in place to quench those radicals. But it's a little bit like, you know, again, we, we were using the car analogy earlier. It's a little bit like, you know, the exhaust of your car. You know, you can drive around in cars, but I wouldn't encourage you to stick your nose right next to the exhaust of your car, right? Stop it coming out of there. 
Uh, and so here's mitochondria creating these oxygen radicals. And again, the mitochondria, it's in the same cell as the nucleus. Your DNA is, you know, just there across a couple of membranes. And so theoretically, if I'm doing more exercise, am I not generating more oxygen radicals? And shouldn't that be more damaging to my DNA? That would seem to make sense. Now, of course, epidemiologically, we know the opposite is true. We know that exercise is one of those things, one of the big pillars that promotes longevity. And so if you remember Jack LaLanne, who was a big fitness guru in the 50s and 60s, when he lived to be 93, he, he passed due to uh, a pneumonia, probably, you know, had he, had he maybe used some antibiotics or whatever, he might actually even live longer. But fitness correlates with a long, healthy life. And so what's going on? What's the rub? And so we believe, and there's some, some very new science to, to indicate, that perhaps to no surprise, there's a signaling mechanism between the mitochondria within the cell and the, the DNA over in the nucleus that says, hey, crank it up the power plant here. I'm, I'm turning on this mitochondria, right? I'm going to be generating some oxygen radicals. You might want to go ahead and coil up that DNA. So, hey, I'm turning on the car. We're still in the garage you might want to roll up the windows so that we don't get exhaust into the car. That's kind of the broad, crude analogy that I would use to say there's this connection, again, all the way down to the DNA level, all the way down to the epigenome that says, you know, hey, let's coil up our DNA to, to protect it. I think the other fitness analogy that I use, because when we're looking at these epigenetic changes, when we're talking about, you know, rolling up the, the yarn and storing it on a shelf, these are changes that occur monthly. Okay? Genes go on and off every day. But when we decide to condense the DNA and store it put away, that's a decision that we make on kind of a monthly basis. And so the example I use for people is just doing push-ups. Now, if you're not a particular aficionado of doing push-ups, maybe the first day you do some, you could do, I don't know, five. But if you keep at it every day doing your push-ups, lo and behold, you know, four to six weeks later, you know, I'd say the average person is probably up to, I don't know, I'd say 50 push-ups. Now, if you skip doing push-ups for one day, you don't go back to five. But if you skip doing push-ups for another four to six weeks, you probably do go back to five. And so when we think about epigenetics and when we think about these epigenetic effects, they're longer term. They're, they're much more reflective of our habits than, you know, Jeff, did you do push-ups yesterday? Uh, Jeff, did you eat at McDonald's yesterday? I, I, we can't use epigenetics to tell that. I can use epigenetics to tell you, you know, did you eat you know, a high-fat, high-starch diet every day for a month? Yeah, that's going to show up epigenetically. But a, a McDonald's you know, meal yesterday, that's not going to show up. Got it. I'd like to jump to what we had as the fourth pillar and then, and then finish with, the, with mindfulness. Let's go to toxins and the toxins that are in our environment and, and, and how we get them and you know, we all think that they're terrible, but I know you've got a little different perspective on that in some cases. Well, I think the evidence is that for chronic high-dose exposure to toxins, it's very bad for your epigenome. And so we know from these biobank studies that I talked about earlier, one of the things that causes the most premature aging of your epigenome and the most epigenetic damage uh, is, in fact, smoking. And so smoking, uh, if you know somebody who smokes, you know, help them quit. If you smoke yourself, think seriously about getting some help. It's a wonderful way to shorten your lifespan, and we should all try and live, you know, long, healthy lives. 
But I think the crux is that smoking is a delivery of a high dose of toxin chronically on a daily basis. And the poison is always in the dosage. And I think it's basically smoking completely overwhelms all of the toxicological systems that you have to try and deal with these things, you know, whether it's your liver or at the cellular level, this ability to wind DNA. We actually have mechanisms to repair DNA. Again, I think smoking overwhelms them. It's just, right, it's, you know, here in ski country, it's just an avalanche uh, of toxins. Uh, it's too much. What we do see is that chronic exposure to very low levels of toxins actually may have a health benefit because it's, it's actually causing chromatin condensation. And so if you're familiar, if you've heard of a compound in red wine called resveratrol, uh, they caused it that because it, it, they thought it could, quote-unquote, reverse aging. And these are a class of compounds called plant polyphenols, and uh, they're found in a whole variety of plants and, and berries and things like that. But they've actually been shown to wind up DNA. They cause DNA to condense and, be again, be rolled up into that ball and be stored away, and we know that that's protective. We also know that, that there are many carcinogens in plants that are natural carcinogens that are, are a part of our diet. And we believe that as part of evolution, you know, our, our systems evolved that as part of a plant-rich diet, we would condense our DNA. Well, guess what? That has the net effect of protecting it from a whole lot of other things, which is why a plant-based diet actually correlates with longevity. That makes sense to me. We try and practice what we're talking about here. You and. I try not to let perfection get in the way of good enough. Then I think that goes to your, you know, if you ate McDonald's yesterday, your epigenome is probably not going to be, you're not going to be able to pick that up. But if you eat it every day for a month, you will. And so we're trying to share some information on how to have a good, long health span. Now we've gone through nutrition, fitness, toxins, and then I have this idea in my mind that mindfulness, which is a pretty big category, which can include meditation and circadian rhythms, sleep cycles, various things we can do for ourselves, energy work, yoga, qigong. I have the sense that those sorts of things help us roll the yarn up and, and get it organized. Is that accurate? Yeah, I think it is. It's a great segue to think about how our mental state is impacting our DNA. And, you know, I'm going to use the McDonald's analogy because if you're stressing out over the fact that you, you know, you stopped on the way home and, I don't know, got a happy meal and a cheeseburger with your teenager and, oh, oh my gosh, that makes me a horrible person, you're probably doing more damage to yourself just stressing about it than you, you're doing by, you know, that high carbohydrate, high fat, high salt, you know. Yeah, the mind is a powerful tool. Right. Assuming that, you know, you otherwise, you know, have a healthy, you know, diet and exercise regimen. And so, yes, the, the mind is a very, you know, powerful influence. And so, interesting, again, of these kind of biobank studies of the, you know, the epidemiological data that we've been able to gather to date, it actually appears that mental stress is one of the biggest drivers of aging, probably number two behind smoking. And so people who suffer from mental stress, high levels of cortisol, right, for example, in their blood sets up an inflammatory response. But an inflammatory response at the DNA level is, is really just a bunch of uh, yarn being unwound. It's a bunch of genes being activated and, and, and being activated chronically. Because the key word is always chronic. 
right? Is it chronic exposure to this inflammatory response, whether that be in cortisol for mental stress? We know that certain diets through interaction with the microbiome can also be chronically inflammatory. So chronic, chronic, chronic. You've got to, you know, all things in moderation. So of the things that we know in this broad bucket of mindfulness that impact the epigenome, certainly stress and a cortisol-related inflammation cascade of events is something that we would like to ameliorate. The other one that is increasingly interesting is circadian rhythms. So your sleep-wake pattern. Uh, you know, it turns out that, you know, at the DNA level, there's a bunch of things that we're doing at night that we just assume be doing at night. Uh, one of those things is DNA repair. That seems to be ha- occurring preferentially uh, at night. And you could almost think of it as a custodian coming along and, you know, cleaning the classroom, cleaning the hallways. And we're going through and we're monitoring for any damage to DNA and, and fixing that. Well, that doesn't really work too well if there's a bunch of kids in the classroom. And so if we're eating late at night, we're staying up watching TV, we're having a high-carb or fat meal that is you know, triggering insulin and other aspects of our metabolism, we're working at maybe a little bit at cross-purposes there. And so, again, that is a hypothesis. Um, but epidemiologically, when we look at people with poor circadian rhythms and poor circadian rhythm management, so for example, people who chronically work the night shift, we know night shift workers, generally speaking, epidemiologically, have shorter lifespans and have higher cancer rates. Now, it's difficult to tease it all out because people who work the night shift often come from a lower socioeconomic background, and that also correlates with decreased lifespan, higher rates of cancer. So it's difficult to tease it all out, but it does seem to hang together from a hypothesis basis that this is mechanistically, you know, how things are working. And with that as a basis, you know, with an understanding of a mechanistic model of, you know, I want to be managing my yarn, how do I go about doing that? When we look at the positive side of the coin, when we look at People who practice mindfulness, and there's lots of different ways to do it. It can be yoga, it can be meditation, it can be prayer, it can be a lot of different things. There's no one key to the door. Those practices seem to correlate with healthy epigenetic aging, as do good sleep practices, right? A good eight hours of sleep that try and correlate with just the sun, right? That's not eight hours of sleep from, you know, one o'clock in the morning till 9 a.m., but more, you know, sort of 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. So, so this idea of getting up more or less with the sun, you don't, you don't need to be up, you know, right at the crack of dawn, but this idea of, of sleeping in and then staying up late and especially consuming calories late at night, we know that that, that, that is not, that does not make for a healthy epigenome. And I would add to that, and certainly while we're recording this, there's quite a lot going on in our world that you know, if we're chronically stressed due to consumption of news and, you know, what that does to our body, I did want to go, you know, that's not going to be helpful as we wind down towards a restful night's sleep of, you know, repair and maintenance of this ship we call our body. I feel like we've covered the four pillars and it gives us a really good opportunity to dive in more deeply into each one because as i sit here i have all kinds of questions 
which we'll do here in subsequent episodes. Where would you wrap up? What would be your perspective just talking about these four pillars and really the epigenetic overview to lead people into these next episodes? Yeah, but I think the exciting piece is that we now have the opportunity to measure this, right? Because how can you manage what you don't measure? So for most of us, our health is, you know, outside of the doctor's office is managed by how do you look in the mirror and what's the weight on the scale? You know, we have few other ways in which we could ask ourselves, is my workout working? Am I stressed? Is my nutrition program the appropriate one for me? And so now uh, at my little company, Prosper, uh, as well as a few other companies out there, there are you know, direct-to-consumer epigenetic tests where you can assay this and you can see you know, how well am I aging and what seems to be driving my aging process. And I think it's just a, you know, a tool in the toolbox that people can use to try and you know, live their best life ever. Dr. Richard Hamilton, president and founder of Prosper. You can find Prosper at liveprosperstrong.com, and we'll have that information in the program notes, and we'll follow this episode up with four more where we dive deeply into the four pillars of epigenetics. Richard, I really appreciate your time. Thanks for visiting today. Uh, yeah, and Jeff, I would just tack on there, you know, uh, for your listeners, uh, if they go to Live Prosper Strong and they'd like to order the kit and uh, we'll, we'll offer a discount to all things big and small. So A-T-B-S, enter that as the coupon code and they can order a, a Prosper kit at a significant discount. I appreciate that. I think that's going to be great. And people are going to, I think that's really interesting for people because we have these conversations and where do you, where do you go? How do you, how do you measure? And you're on the cutting edge and, and figuring out how to, how to bring that to the masses. And I'm grateful and I'm grateful for your time. I'm grateful for your knowledge and, and the way you're pushing things forward out on the cutting edge. So thank you very much, Richard. Always a pleasure to chat with you, Jeffrey. Be well. Be well, my friend. Thanks. Thank you for joining me on this episode of ATBS, the podcast. I sure appreciate it. And I really appreciate Richard Hamilton being here today, shedding some light on the subject of epigenetics and how we can influence our epigenome. Hope you learned a lot. And if you enjoyed that, there are four episodes, two of which are already recorded as follow-ups and more in-depth dives into the subject of epigenetics and the four pillars thereof. The other two will be recorded here shortly. As always, I appreciate you joining us. If you like what you hear, you can support us. You can check us out at atbsthepodcast.com where you can contribute, you can subscribe, you can do all those wonderful things. We're out there on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you name it. We're working on all of those things. And if you're curious about epigenetic testing, go to liveprosperstrong.com and order the test. You'll get a discount with ATBS, the promo code. And I appreciate, again, Richard joining us and offering that up. I look forward to having you join us again here on ATBS, the podcast. As always, thank you and keep thriving. Thank you.